three, two, one. This is Bebop Tabletop, the podcast that's turning each episode of Cowboy Bebop into a tabletop RPG. I'm Michael Janoff. I'm Lee Jo John. I'm Andrew Wu. And together, we're remixing the characters, music, and themes into a game you can play. Let's jam. Hello, you experts on the supernatural. This is Bebop Tabletop Session 9, jamming with Edward. My name is Andrew, and with me today is Lijo. Say hi, Lijo. Hey, hey, I'm always here. Uh, Lijo is always here. Unfortunately, Michael had a previously scheduled temporal time void this week, but today we have a very special guest, Evan Young. Welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me on. I am not always here. You are always here in spirit. Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and your in your background? Uh, yeah, sure. I mean, I uh, I first got into Cowboy Bebop as one of my early like intros to anime, and it really struck me as something that was quite different, not only within the anime that I'd seen, but within the sort of science fiction that I was familiar with, the sort of combination of space western and film noir general aesthetics that you got was really quite unique and really kept me going for, I mean, the entire series, as long with, along with the general nonsense as well. And then, yeah, I've been tabletop for almost as long, um, on and off, doing a lot of D&D, sort of 3.5 and uh, 5, as well as a little bit of World of Darkness and a couple of other sort of short one-off campaigns of some other things. So got a bit of experience. Awesome. Yeah. No, we are, as, as we're creating a new-ish game, and there is so much influence from Dungeons & Dragons, of course. Uh, yeah. Any, as much new and different perspectives as we can get on this uh, really feels like it adds to what we're trying to build. Yeah, for sure. Looking forward to it. Are you all ready for an episode summary? Yeah. Let's do it. A lonely satellite draws some friends into the surface of the Earth, kicking off an 8 million Wulong hunt for the responsible hacker. Jet and Faye hit the streets of Earth looking for the hacker with beautiful yet whimsical technique, Radical Edward. Edward, who turns out to be a 13-year-old computer genius, contacts the Bebop with proof that there is no hacker, and that Empu, the satellite's AI, carved the shapes on its own. Spike and Faye fly into orbit, avoiding all the kill lasers, allowing Ed to download a copy of Empu. The crew turn in the AI for no reward, and Ed joins the Bebop. I feel like this is a very appropriate episode to have our very first guest, because we are adding to the crew a little bit here today. So the introduction to Edward makes it feel strange how the show did not have Edward for the first eight episodes. Based on the gifts on the internet, 80% of the show is about Edward. Based on my own memories, I think that matches about the same amount. It's shocking to me that she isn't introduced until just now. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, she's like, she, she, she changes the general tenor of life aboard the Bebop, I think. At the start of the show, you've got, you know, two guys who are broke and are trying to come up mm -hmm. with some beef for the bell peppers. And then you've got Ayn, who is, I mean, great, but is also hungry. And then you've got Faye, who is more or less the same. And everyone's sort of like having a tough time. And Ed, I think, is a great addition for somebody who just seems sort of happy to be there and is <laughs> enjoying enjoying life. And she's just she's just having a good time, regardless of how the crew's doing. To be fair, I would also say that the reason you see so much Ed online is because she is a meme to herself, you know? <laughs> uh, 
with every GIF or GIF that you see of the Bebop, I mean, usually it's either how pretty the animation is, Spike beating up somebody, or Ed or I doing something abnormal, right? Regardless, yeah, Ed is a great addition to the the cast or to, of the show, and um, it was a little bit weird at first going through rewatching the show and just trying to figure out like why everything was so dour all the time, and then you realize, <laughs> oh right, it's because uh, a crucial member is not part of this team. Ein can only do so much with with his furry borks. Yeah, yeah, there's only so much room for room for dog in the early episodes before uh i mean i feel like i mean and this might be me again perhaps creating more content than is actually there based on the content of the internet but i feel like ed and ein sort of naturally synergize to a certain extent where they can just be nonsensical together and that can be its own section of what happens in life on the bebop yeah it, it, it's the other side of that coin yeah something in this episode that stood out to me was how casually everybody treated the fact that a satellite just kind of went rogue, <laughs> right? Like it's, it's um, hey, AI has emerged and also it's carving things into the earth and also let's not talk about it anymore. <laughs> it really channeled a HAL 9000 kind of vibe at first mm-hmm. and then, but no one else seemed to be as worried as me, the lid of the watcher, right now, everybody's like, "Ah, it's fine. We'll we'll deal with it. We'll send it in as a bounty, I guess." Even the the end of the show where they had the um, the the news announcement where they sort of talked about it and they just sort of presented it as like, "Yeah, so AI is a thing," and nobody was really sure if that meant it was human. Uh, but we didn't think that much about it. We just it just means that it's not a person for the purposes of a bounty, and so it means nobody. Mostly, had to get we paid. just don't want to pay it out. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's it. <laughs> it's like, is this a gray Does area? Does this unit have a soul? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And the answer is not for the purposes of bounties. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. How convenient. Yeah, I mean, I like the idea that, you know, the first AI develops naturally and its general mood is bored. Like, I'm just bored. Yeah. I'm up here in space. <laughs> there's nothing to do but draw on the earth with death lasers it drew itself some friends i think that was spike's line it drew some friends <laughs> yeah i like that that's so sad <laughs> <laughs> it's tragic and probably i mean probably a little too close to home <laughs> well so you're going to talk to all the other rogue military satellites hanging out in space not many of those this, this is why we started this podcast for real so uh don't tell anyone i guess <laughs> <laughs> Uh, some other things that I wanted to point out from this episode, too, were I, I love this little bit with the cheap missiles. Mm. Uh, uh, Jet tells Spike, hey, don't fire any missiles because they're really expensive. And then when they do fire the missiles, I don't remember exactly what happens, but they fire the missiles and I remember they don't go right. And Jet says, ah, oh, the cheap stuff never works. And I just love that yep. little, the two-line interaction there is so good. <laughs> yeah, I think it was the the ECM of the satellite. Like, it just veered off course mm. and blew up, and they were like, ah, you know, this is what we get for buying <laughs> third-rate crap, <laughs> trying to save a buck. In one of the episodes, we talked about, yeah, there might be grades of equipment. We haven't talked about items too much yet, mm-hmm. but this idea that, yeah, there's going to be cheap missiles, there's going to be cheap ammo. This idea that you might be getting knockoff stuff is now canon, so it's something that we'll have to cover in this game. <laughs> yeah, no, and I think that fits well with the concept of sort of bottoming out or having a good day and you can be like, all right, we've got some cash. Let's, you know, 
let's buy up a couple of maybe the second-rate missiles instead of the third-rate ones, <laughs> and just in case. And then you bought them out, and then you've probably got to like sell them on the black market for nothing because right, you need to yeah. buy them. <laughs> I like the – because this is a common problem in most tabletop RPGs and video games where it's like, oh, I've got this really nice expensive thing. I'm never going to use this. Like, There's <laughs> never <laughs> – uh, if I bought that first-rate missile, it's like, oh, we can never fire this. It oh, is yeah. never going to be worth the cost to fire this missile. <laughs> it's the standard RPG problem where you never want to use the valuable item, even if you're on like the final boss, just because you never know. Maybe you need it for the next fight, <laughs> even if there is no next fight. So I think this week, as kind of fits the theme of jamming with Edward with a new crew member, and the theme of having our very first special guest. We should talk a little bit about crew cohesion, a crew dynamics, something about how do we mechanize, how do we systemize the crew coming together to accomplish a goal. When we're talking about events way, way back, or encounters way, way back, that there may be things you can do to help each other, or there may be things you can do to improve the situation. There, there might be some reason, or there might be enough there for us to say, hey, maybe that should be part of the a game mechanic. Maybe that should be something that, as in in the example of the show, the crew comes together first with Jet and Spike almost implicitly trusting each other. Like, from the beginning, these two are always together, have each other's back. There's not really a lot of doubt there. Introducing Ayn was easy enough, mostly probably because Ayn is a dog and will follow them and trust them because they have the dog food sometimes. Introducing Faye was an interesting change because they did not trust her and vice versa. So that was a very different way of adding a crew member, right? So some sort of trust had to be built. I would say that in the show, it wasn't really covered that much either, right? It's just kind of three weeks in, it's like, yeah, she's part of it. It's fine, right? Little little bits of dialogue suggesting like, well, I'm upset with you. Here's an invoice, but now you're part of the crew. It's fine. A bunch of weirdos, I think they they call them at some point. The introduction of Ed provides kind of a new way of throwing in a new crew member. Uh, How do you guys feel about, well, you know, what, what do you guys think about ways to incentivize crew cohesion? I think it's, it's interesting and it's nothing that we, from the show, really have a great case for at least not not so far in the show as you say everyone sort of gets together and even like going forward ed is more or less just sort of in the crew Mm -hmm. doesn't you know doesn't hold any grudge against Faye for trying to brush her off at the end of the episode (laughs) and everyone's just sort of friends forever but i think conceptually it's important because it's a world where there's a there's a lot of sort of distrust inherently and especially with Faye, you see things where the different groups of the party go off and try and accomplish different things, even if they're not working at cross purposes necessarily. Yeah, it's interesting how this might be a part that is so so one of the purposes of this this game, right, is to represent all the potential adventures from the show as something you could play on the table, right? And this might be one of those things where this is a mechanic that has to exist despite it never really showing up in the show, right? Like, there, there's little hints of it, but it's never really... Well, that's the thing, I suppose. Like, 
the show is not possible if these things do not work exactly this way, potentially. Right? So that, that's a good question on whether we need... Well, you know, this, this is an old TTRPG problem. How do you handle your, your edgelord rogue in the corner, right? How do, you, how do you bring them into the party? How do you make them part of the crew? So I, <laughs> I actually have the opposite thought, and it's more on the player. If anything, it's you have to go with the crew. You cannot be that much of a jerk. If you, if you are going for hesitant reasons, that's fine. But if you're going to actively be against the party, why are you here? Like, what are you <laughs> doing? You know, we, we t- you mentioned how Faye and Spike and Jet were at least mistrustful of each other at first. But within a few bounties, they're, they pretty much rely on each other and they trust each other to get the job done. Now, Faye is not quite as the kind-hearted individual Spike and Jet is. And again, at the end of this episode, she tries to ditch Ed. But, <laughs> like, all things considered, they they pay her fairly. I mean, she may immediately gamble it all away, but that's, I mean, that's her prerog- prerogative. I Even if you choose to have a quirky or an edgelord character, you have to, I really do think that if you don't relatively get in line you're just going to ruin everybody else's fun. Well, and is is that something that you'd want reinforced in the mechanics, or do you think that's just something you'd want enforced by a, a GM going forward, where it's like, no, we're just going to... Because that's a, that's a bit of the meta level of tabletop, right? Where it's like, well, you know, great, you're not allowed back to the session next week <laughs> if you don't get along, which is, you know, it's not it's it's not codified in the rules, but it's still sort of you know, a certain amount of meta is necessary. I I hate being too heavy-handed. I I like to give players freedom as much as feasible. If you're going to do something ridiculous, that has to be a, at least addressed. Um, and I, usually, narratively, I I try to do that. In one of the campaigns I run, we had a necromancer, and then this necromancer would very much, almost blatantly, go and dig, you know, for skeletons and bodies. Which is generally a no-no in civilized society. Occasionally, I would I would get the I would get the party in trouble with the law and and have uh, her either jailed or you know whatever at least run out of town in more severe cases. I'm not telling her she can't do that. I'm just saying you know either be more sneaky or you know maybe not do it in broad daylight. You know <laughs> I don't. I'm not going to say I'm not going to tell this person no. You can't do this. If you do this, you're out of the game because that's this is a mild offense. It's not a this is not this is not like a personal attack or they're being a racist or something like I sure. These things are just character choices. And even if they're not always the most fun, that's part of the game, right? I think part of it, too, that helped was that the party understood that that was what was happening and they agreed not necessarily with the choices being made, but they agreed with those consequences happening because of those choices. The party knows that, hey, this member is not good, <laughs> is not a good person in, in the eyes of the law in this area, and being with them will cause trouble, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I, I think that that is highly party dependent at that point. It's highly... Yeah. Again, with the meta, it's highly people dependent, right? You're not your party members, but your 
players need to agree that this is okay, that this is what we want. Yeah, and I think you can, and then you can see that in how the party reacts as well, where you can, mm-hmm. you know, the the party, you know, maybe the first time they don't know she's off digging up graves at three in the afternoon. But after the first couple of jailings, presumably they know, and they can either just let her keep doing her thing and not helping her, or they can try and leave her behind the next time she gets arrested, or they can actually support her. And I think those are all valid mm-hmm. paths that any party has to sort of take where it's are you gonna are you going to accept reject or just tolerate a given behavior from your party member yeah i think for the purposes of this game right there there needs to be an assumption that your players will get along right i don't don't think we're going to try to systemize that (laughs) right that feels incredibly heavy yeah uh i do think it is possible to incentivize getting along Our original take on the Gambit system, our original take on helping your party out was this idea that, hey, I'm going to take an action of some kind that bumps your die up one level, right? That that the idea before of accelerating die was that, hey, uh, Jet hacked a thing so that Spike can, you know, do things... You know, can shoot better. I don't know. <laughs> that doesn't quite make He hacked his gun, I guess. Uh, <laughs> that's not a thing in this universe. The idea that his action directly supported to help Spike, right? Uh, we've evolved kind of away from that since then. I, th- I think I think what we can, and what we've landed on so far is better than that. But I think there is still something to the idea that Jet's the guy in the chair. You know, he's doing work. He's mapping. He's tracking and that should play into what the crew is doing somehow right yeah i think that makes sense and i think we see some of that more supporting behavior at a at a broader level of not just like you know i i hack your gun to shoot better but in what ed does when they're approaching the satellite and she sort of says, "Oh, you've got to. What you've got to do now that you've screwed up is you've got to get close to it so that the lasers can't shoot you." And that's nothing that like she's not there, not hacking the satellites mm-hmm. so it doesn't shoot them. She did a good skill check, did a good role, either either supported them in doing what they're trying to do or given them another path to go down mm-hmm. because now they have this new ab- ability functionally, this this new knowledge that they can take this path. Yeah, because that that can be handled in. Role play, essentially, right? Like we can say, mm-hmm. oh, yeah, you've discovered this new thing, so you, you have advantage now, essentially, right? I'd like to turn it to the other uh, turn of the millennia, Space Western uh, Firefly. Mm-hmm. Uh, that team was much less cohesive, mm-hmm. the Firefly crew. They worked together for the most part. They weren't necessarily the most cohesive, but even... You know, Jane, the the mercenary, would pitch in and help out even in, uh, like, their intimidation checks, even if he wasn't the brightest bulb. So I think that the inherent incentive of money and not dying should be more than enough for most people to get on board. But if you want to codify it into some sort of efficiency stat or, you know, even simply as the help, like, the help action in D&D where... You can do something to give this person advantage, or in this case, maybe up the dice or something. There, there are ways to codify mm-hmm. it if you'd like. I'm wondering if there should be some kind of 
kind of a longer term benefit for being part of a crew. And this this is a uh, this might be a very different kind of idea where we we talk a little bit about how yeah these these episodes of Bebop are pretty monster of the week uh, week to week it's it's a whole new whole new episode whole new genre a lot of the times right that the episode just completely shift gears so maybe there is maybe we should be designing this game to be more drop in drop out right something where you've got uh, you you may not have the same crew every week like maybe it's the same ship or the same captain but yeah, we, people may drop in and drop out, and that might be part of the design of this game. In that case, maybe there should be something that says, hey, we kind of want to encourage you to play together with the same crew or the same, maybe it's like the same ship. Something like that, where, hey, this, because you played together before, you have some benefit. Right? I, I don't know if there's something to this. I don't know if that's the direction we want to go with this, but uh, what do you guys think? Is that something worth considering? I'm I'm having a little bit of trouble maybe grasping the idea that there should be a an additional bonus just because you're on the same crew. In theory we should not be switching out crews too often. I I imagine it is something you could absolutely can do, but unless you've got multiple crews ready to go, you're probably going to stick to the the same one unless you're willing you as the GM is are willing to run three different crews with a bunch of NPCs uh which uh, Hint, I'm I'm really not. <laughs> well, well, I'm saying not with NPCs, but with players. So one of the problems in modern tabletop problems, right, is just how do you get the same four adults together consistently week to week, right? Maybe this week you only have two, or next week you have somebody else that wants to join in, right? I, I'm thinking about should we design for that modern problem? I don't really believe so. Um Again, it's it's up to you, but we have episodes where, li- like, the episode coming up, uh, Ed and Faye will do nothing, will do not do a whole lot. The one will sunbathe, one will fish the entire episode, and that's the equivalent of not showing up that mm-hmm. day, right? Yeah. It is a little harder when the pilot, the supposed pilot or owner of the, the main ship is missing. Uh, you may need to put them on a planet and not let them go space, hmm. but... In the end, I think that you are able to do this with a modular effect without too much trouble. The biggest issue, obviously, is if you don't finish a mission and are starting something mid-mission. And mm-hmm. But that's always a risk you take when you only have limited time as an adult, unfortunately. Yeah, maybe I just like making things difficult for GMs. But I think there is a role for, for something like that. Like, I... I've I've been in a couple of situations um, as a player, fortunately, not as a GM, because they're hard to deal with. Where you have you've got a campaign set up and you've got the thief, and this next scenario that we've got is set up for you know breaking into a thing, some sort of you know some 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 task that relies on specific skills that one or two party members have, and if they don't show up that week, it would be nice to either have an alternative or just uh, or or you need to swap out to something different you don't really have a, a backup so i think trying to encourage people to stay together is good not and because it again goes out to the meta problem of now you can just say come on guys let's stick together instead of saying right 
rogue character. We really need you there because this is, you know, I'm telling you guys that this is a mission mm-hmm. that we need yeah. the rogue for. But, you know, if the barbarian does, wants to take a long lunch and, and skip this one, that's fine. Like, I don't think that's a great dynamic. Again, maybe this is getting a bit too meta for our rules right. building, but I think that's an, an element that will, you know, bind not only the fictitious crew of our game, but the actual players together to some mm-hmm. extent. Yeah, I kind of understand where Lijo's coming from, too, in that it's like, it's almost like social manipulation when we start codifying these things right and that is kind of (laughs) icky yeah and maybe that's maybe this is just an area where we we can't really necessarily like we can't force the same people to be at the table and we just have to Mm -hmm. focus on you know whatever i'm i'm on earth you're all up in space and doing the flying and the shooting how can i support that despite the fact that my character is not in the same like physical location Right. Or I'm I'm Jet, I'm the guy in the seat. I'm not there. I've made the plan, but I'm not there specifically doing X. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, it, it, it is a thing that essentially no other tabletop game solves, right? And, and that's probably for the best, <laughs> right? That you just can't... Uh, I, I've seen session reports or, like, people talk about how, yeah, sometimes they just held a separate session with... Uh, the characters that are important for whatever side adventure. Uh, I've seen things where, yeah, DMs will maybe, like, just take two of their players and run a little side thing, and then when they come back together with the whole party, it's like, oh, they did this thing. I've never been in a game like that where, yeah, most of the time, almost everybody in the party is there, right, every game, right? And even when the player is not available, usually the party member is around and... I, I guess we're, you know, we're a pretty tight knit group usually, so we know that we won't just like kill them <laughs> or do anything that they wouldn't do with their character. I could see that being a problem in looser groups. Yeah, I'm not sure how much we, how how broad a net you have to consider when mm-hmm. yeah. when building these things, like how whether you have to run the full gamut of this is a, you know, whatever handful of people from work where you've got. 60% attendance on a given day versus, you know, people who have every Saturday afternoon from here till the end of the earth booked in for, mm-hmm. nope, we're going to play us some tabletop. It's a very good question, right? I don't, I don't know when, so when other people design games, I don't know how much they consider this. As an adult that has limited gaming time and as you are as well, when I, when I talk about designing this game, I'm very clearly trying to design a game that I would like to run. I think that's something that I, I think about very often. And also, I'm trying to design away the things that make it difficult for me personally to run games. <laughs> so that's why I usually I ask the questions that I do. Yeah, I wonder if other games run to that problem, right? Uh, Dungeons & Dragons seems to work for everybody that is, you know, that has infinite time to, to play games with their buds. And also somehow has found a way to work with adults that have two hours on weekends. Is it better or worse at one of those than the other? Is it possible to design for one versus the other? I, I'm not really sure at this point. Maybe the the easy first step for that is just building a robust sort of supporting system. Like I, I support you doing X. And then, you know, if next week comes around and I have to move, like I've got to move house and I can't be mm. can't be there with you guys. 
it's relatively easy to just say, yep, whatever, I'm a pilot character. For the first half, we're all on Earth, so I'm not doing anything. And for the second half, maybe I'm just supporting whoever else is doing something. Like, I'm just, I am an assist, I'm going to grant some sort of passive benefit. Right. I don't know if that's enough to easily hot swap a bunch of people, mm-hmm. but it might be at least something, as opposed to three people don't show up on a given game night, and now the DM has three new NPCs that they have mm. to handle and play with. Right. I'd much rather uh, just play a different game at that point, <laughs> probably. <laughs> yeah. It's one of those things where swapping on the fly seems to be one of our bigger strengths, and the fact that I don't have to worry about things like challenge ratings mm-hmm. or the strength of my monsters, you know, accidentally overwhelming my party that's, that's not at full strength. The fact that I can adjust these, again, uh, for lack of a better term, motivation tracker as needed, right? So if I don't think I can have a party of four that day, I'll make do with my party of three or two or whatever. I think that our game is meant to be played with <laughs> with whatever resources you have. And I think that's inherently <laughs> part of the themes of that Cowboy Bebop. It is very on theme, yeah. <laughs> it's scrappy. You, uh, yeah. We're scrappy. We we are, you know, they're, they're currently capturing bounties using a fishing vessel mm-hmm. like it's not they don't have the top of the line stuff and they don't have all the resources they need and they may do it's not glamorous but hey it's a living right and i think that at least where we're at right now i think we have the ability to be a bit more modular mm-hmm. the fact that the truth of the matter is even our games of D, it is nearly impossible to get people to do the old style six hour sessions mm-hmm. i've done maybe one long session in the last two years other than that generally it's less than three hours maybe once a week if we're lucky that's that's pushing it sometimes mm-hmm. so you you have to tailor for the people you got and some some of us are blessed to, and privileged to play with our friends and people we enjoy and sometimes you got to play with randos mm-hmm. And that's a bigger problem. I think that might be why I've been thinking about codifying behavior in this way, is that I'm worried about uh, rando play. And, and maybe that's the wrong focus, right? Like that maybe I shouldn't worry too much about it, but I do believe it is possible to design rules that encourage good behavior. Or I should say the opposite is I've seen. It is entirely possible to design rules that make people be jerks to each other. And I guess I just want to make sure we avoid that trap. Yeah, no, and that seems reasonable. And you can't, yeah, it's it's how much you want to focus on that, how much you want to focus on Mm -hmm. either one of your friends, you know, God bless him, love him to death, but (laughs) kind of a jerk. Or you're just playing with a team of complete randos. And those Mm -hmm. are, I mean, those are definitely valid play sets. And it's just how, yeah, how much do we skew for it? On the other hand, it may also just be a problem of communication. Honestly, if you ever go to the the Reddit subreddit RPG horror stories, there are usually vignettes of how either one player is incredibly terrible, or they're they're incre- they're problematic in one way, or they think they're the main character. And a good third to maybe almost half of them, the answer is you guys need to communicate. Nothing is going to change if you just kind of accept their their crappiness, and they are definitely not going to take your your social cues sometimes. So mm. you just gotta you gotta talk it out. It's just how it is. 
it's always about setting expectations and then talking through problems you see. Right? That's basically very grown up approach to our problems. We have to use our words and not violence. <laughs> that is not on theme, I don't think. <laughs> it's true. The Bebop crew is much much lower on communication than than action, generally speaking. Yeah, it's very I think I think going back to what we were saying about how yeah, they had some serious, serious problems coming together as a crew. But then by the next week, it's like, yeah, no, that's fine. We just don't talk about it. And and we're just all here together. And that's fine. <laughs> uh, I feel like that is a very tabletop RPG thing also where most of the time, just because the party has to be together, it's like, well, I, there may be things in your backstory, your character's backstory that are problems for my character's backstory. But as long as we don't talk about it and we just focus on the gold coming, everything's okay, right? That That's normal, I guess. That That's what this crew is. <laughs> yeah, it's true. And that, that format fits, you know, both General Tabletop and Cowboy Bebop so very well that, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, we, we make do. And I just, you know, we're never going to be the best friends with each other. But, you know, that's fine. I'm just going to ignore things. <laughs> but that being said... You don't have to be incredibly open with friends to still care and be concerned with them. In that episode with the kid who didn't grow, Hmm. Faye was still relatively new to the crew, and she was concerned that Spike wasn't going to come back from that. Hmm. As well as, you know, just we we see scenes where Spike and Jet clearly care about each other, even if they won't talk about it. Uh, And, you know, everybody cares for Ayn. Even if they eat his dog food occasionally. So you can be a team and not follow the, you know, the the lovey-dovey mechanic if you don't want to. And in this case, since everybody's a bunch of edgelords, you're probably not going to get that. Yeah, I I think that is is my my biggest fear is that people will play this game as all, you know, every... uh, So, again... My ideal case is everybody plays this game as Floofy Eyes. Awesome game. Love that game. Yes. We're, my nightmare scenario is everybody is like real sad, cringy Spike Spiegels. And like, oh, I don't want to play that game. <laughs> <laughs> the system should support it. But can we make that okay? Can we make that okay somehow? We get five people with tragic backstories that all want to pursue their own tragic backstories at the expense of every other member of the cast. Yeah, I mean that does seem on theme as well, though. So maybe, maybe that's okay. <laughs> that's true. I mean, we will see that a bit more later on with, uh, well, spoilers for the rest of the series. <laughs> yeah, I guess we can start wrapping up a bit here. We talked about some of our crew dynamic ideas. Uh, ultimately, I think. Yeah, we, we touched on a lot of potential problems and how other systems solve them or don't in most cases and how it's probably not our job to uh, for a lot of these things as well. Uh, we didn't really talk about safety mechanisms, but I, I'm glad that those exist now in the world TTRPGs, right? Because it's still a little bit outside of the scope of what we're discussing here, but it could brush a little bit, right? Like if you have a problematic player for worse reasons than character motivation, right? That those could be related. We'll, we'll see how things develop, but for now, I guess we're, we've kind of come to a consensus that uh, we probably don't need to do a heavy-handed crew cohesion mechanic. Just nothing too heavy-handed. 
when it comes down to it, this is a cooperative storytelling game. You gotta be somewhat cooperative. <laughs> that's kind of the name of the game here. Yeah, that's fair. The The system we've made is a little less independent, and there are a lot more core mechanics that work on the party. You can't... It doesn't really support, at least easily, someone deciding to go off while the rest of the party's in the tavern and pillage some graveyards on their own. <laughs> I do feel like when we start getting into the playtest phase of this, it will be kind of fun to push the system in ways like this. I think that will be... One of our goals should be to attempt to find our nightmare scenarios and push them and see how it turns out in a in a safe environment like this. Yeah. Yeah, that'd be great. I look forward to not supporting you as you pillage a graveyard. <laughs> oh, you'll you'll be back, Evan. You'll be back for this. <laughs> uh, any last things we want to talk about jamming with Edward? Any stray notes? Now. Clearly, the drawings that MPU was drawing is very reminiscent of those uh, uh, the Nazca, Nazca lines, lines from mm-hmm. in from Peru. But it's, it just it just boggles my mind that that could be made by people in the past, and we still don't know how they did it. It's always good to assume aliens, right? It's always aliens. That that's yeah. the best assumption. It's yeah. Do we know they didn't have like space lasers to carve them from way up there? Who do you think put MPU up there? <laughs> the ancient Peruvians. The sign says the United States, but can we really trust that? <laughs> the United States of aliens. That's what it, it doesn't say it on the back. Yeah. <laughs> and one of the things I wanted to note is that uh, hacking is called net diving. So a borrowed phrase I'm from, what, is that Snow Crash? It, it's, it's definitely very cyberpunk. Uh, they also mentioned an outer net, which... Mm. Uh, Mm. Forgive my ignorance. I don't think it actually exists right now. Well, yet. Yet. They don't want you to know about the outer net. I wonder what that distinction is, whether it's like the each planet has their own internet. And if you want to connect outside of that, is that the outer net? Like if you want to go from Earth to, to Ganymede, is that going past the internet? That makes sense to me. I think it's like the outer space net and they just... <laughs> You know, I assume by 2071, we're still not, you know, we still don't like long names, so we'll we'll shrink them down as much as we can. Oh, yeah. That'll never stop. I also love that in the hacking scenes, especially our first view of the inter or outer net is just like those squiggly line art, like windows being moved past in that blue screen. That is very clearly like my 90s MySpace page. It It's a perfect, like, it's late 90s. Mm-hmm. internet with like multiple layers and more cyberpunk like filters right. on top of it it's... basically and it's fantastic and for some reason my chemical romance is still <laughs> you can't stop it it's that's a... the thing you can't stop it. and it has a little <laughs> counter and how many people have visited your page those are the most important elements <laughs> all right then with that uh we're saying goodbye to jamming with edward uh Thank you again, Evan, for for coming by, hanging out, talking with us, jamming with us. Yeah, thanks for all for uh, inviting me to the jam session. Yeah, we'll see you again. I'm sure of it. Uh, next week, we're going to talk about Ganymede Elegy, and Jet Black will sing it up with soul. Until then, we'll see you next time. See you, Space Cowboys. See you. Thank you.
Thanks for listening. If you've got questions, suggestions, or if you're starting your own Bebop Tabletop session, you can reach us on Twitter, at Bebop Tabletop. Why are you here? Like, what are you doing? You're just going to ruin everybody else's fun.